Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Dr. Bradley Wilcox, he is the second counselor in the Young Men General Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We've talked about Bradley Wilcox on a number of occasions, and one of the reasons why is because he's a very popular speaker. But the talk that he gave on February 6, 2022, this was a tri-stake regional fireside. And in this fireside, he's speaking to a group of young people in Alpine, Utah. And I've been so bold as to say in this talk, he kind of threatens them not to leave the church, because if you leave the church, you're going to be giving up everything. And so we're going through this talk, if for nothing else, to show you that Wilcox does not believe that what he believes as a Latter-day Saint and what we believe as New Testament Christians is really the same thing. I don't think Wilcox would be one to go up to his neighbor and say, well, you know, you're Christians just like us, or we're Christians just like you. You see, that's something you see being said more on a lay level. You don't hear the scholars saying that. You don't hear the leaders saying that. They know perfectly well that the differences are very large, and I think Wilcox is going to hit on some of those things that certainly separate the LDS Church from New Testament Christianity. In yesterday's show, we were talking about a portion in his talk where he asked the group of young people he is addressing to raise their hands if they know somebody who used to go to church who no longer goes to church. I mentioned how the camera angle did not show the people sitting in the audience. There were four adults sitting behind him. Three of the four adults raised their hand. Now, it could be the fourth one just wasn't paying attention. I don't know. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's just say, based on that, does that give us an idea that at least 75% of those young people probably would have raised their hands as well? Because we know that a lot of Latter-day Saints are seeing people leave their church. But the thing that Wilcox said that I think is a little bit troubling, even misleading, was when he said that you can actually look at the numbers of those that are leaving, and there's not any more leaving now than have left at any generation in the history of the church. The numbers are not that different. I would challenge that, and the reason why, as I mentioned yesterday, Never in my 40-plus years of studying Mormonism have I seen so many articles or heard so many talks given by LDS leaders, either locally or on a more national level, talking about doubt among members and people leaving the church and encouraging people to stay, as Jeffrey Holland said, stay in the boat. So for him to make this comment, is kind of troubling for me because I don't think he's being very honest with these young people. When he says not that many more are leaving now than were when I was growing up, it's just happening in a more public way. Well, I would agree with him that certainly a lot of people who leave now do tend to leave in a more public way. 
by either announcing their defection on Facebook or on Twitter or something like that. But when he says not that many more leaving now than when he was growing up, I I would challenge that. I don't think the statistics bear that out. And I certainly don't think our experiences watching what's going on in the state of Utah would verify what Wilcox is trying to say. Bill, about five or six years ago, there was a lawyer in Texas who decided to help Latter-day Saints leave the church. So he created a website called quitmormon.org. All you had to do was go on there and give your information, and then the lawyers there would take care of all that for free, and you would get your letter saying that you have been taken out of the church. About two years ago, the church said, well, we're no longer going to accept these applications from quitmormon.org. You've got to do it yourself. I think part of the reason was there were so many people leaving through this one internet site that they decided we better close that gap. Because a lot of Latter-day Saints are not willing to face the music, whether they have to go to any kind of a hearing or they have to talk to their bishop, they just won't get off the church rolls, which keeps the church's numbers artificially high. So if you're going to have a website that is doing a service and getting people out who want to get out, and you're not going to allow that anymore, I think there must be a reason for that. Yeah, there has to be a reason why you're making it more difficult for people to leave the church, and that certainly would be one classic example of that happening. You can simply write a letter, you'll get a letter back saying, make sure you know what you're doing, because once you leave, you lose all your priesthood blessings, and they do kind of threaten you in that manner. But there isn't any longer that personal confrontation, which I'm sure probably intimidated a lot of people in the past. But Wilcox goes on to say in this talk that there are six different doctrines that you find here in the church that you can't find elsewhere. Now, that's a quote. Six different doctrines that you find here in the church that you can't find elsewhere. Well, doesn't that mean that there are differences then? I would say, Christian, are you listening to what this guy's saying? When you have their own people admitting that there are significant differences, I think we need to pay attention. I don't think it's wise to just assume, well, because they have the name of Jesus in their church's title, that they must be Christians just like us. This is a learned leader in the church. Now, I admit he's not a general authority, but he does have some substantial clout for the position that he does hold. The fact that he does speak in general conference, I think, does show that the church itself looks to Bradley Wilcox to at least have some kind of important influence upon the membership. But six different doctrines that you find here in the church that you can't find elsewhere. And these are not really insignificant doctrines. But then he goes on just a few seconds later to say, you leave this church, you miss everything. You miss everything. He repeats that. I think that for a Christian who would say, you leave Jesus, you miss everything, that would be accurate. You miss everything when you don't have Jesus. But notice what he says here. It's referencing the church. We talked about this on Monday, that so many Latter-day Saints understand how important that church is, capital C. And Jesus really does play a minor role in the whole scope of Mormonism. They would argue, well, we can't be exalted without Jesus, because you have to have faith in Jesus. And of course, he's going to give you that enabling power, that grace as they understand it. And we're not saying that 
our understanding of grace has nothing to do with an enabling power. It most certainly does, but it's certainly much more than that, especially when we don't consider what we do has anything to do with justifying us in the eyes of God. But he goes on to say, let's talk about the blessings of the gospel, and of course that would be the restored gospel of Mormonism, that you can only find here. We're going to tie each one up to a letter in the word gospel. So now he's going to use the word gospel, and he's going to use it as an acronym. Each letter is going to stand for something, and the first thing he's going to address is the G in gospel. That stands for Godhead, he says. Our view of the Godhead is very different than the view of many Christians. Most Christians believe that God and Jesus are the same being and that God slash Jesus is a spirit. We don't believe that. Eric, did you catch a bit of a straw man in that paragraph? Yeah. Certainly did. What did he say that we really don't believe as Christians? Well, a lot of Latter-day Saints don't misunderstand what we believe as far as the Godhead, as far as the Trinity goes. And he says here, God and Jesus are the same being. You know, it's interesting about that accusation that he says we don't believe that. But that's exactly what the Book of Mormon teaches. If you look at Mosiah 15, 1 through 3, it certainly teaches what we would see as a modalistic doctrine that does not separate God and or Jesus. What does it say in Mosiah 15, 1? And now Abinadi said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in flesh, He shall be called the Son of God, and having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son, the Father because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and Son. Verse 4 says, And they are of one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth. Now, it would be a little bit difficult for a Latter-day Saint to say that those verses that Eric just read have nothing more to do then with God being one in purpose, that the Godhead being one in purpose. When you say that the Father is the Son, you've moved right into modalism. We would not say that as Trinitarian Christians. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. We certainly don't look at the Godhead in that way. So when he says most Christians believe that God and Jesus are the same being, I think that most knowledgeable Christians who can articulate the doctrine of the Trinity would say, that's just not what Christians have historically believed. Even though he's accusing us of being outside of the norm, his own scripture would tend to support exactly what he says he doesn't believe. Uh, We didn't even look at Alma 11.38. It says, Now Zeezrom saith again unto him, this would be Amulek, is the Son of God the very eternal Father? And Amulek said unto him, Yea, he is the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth, and all things which in them are, he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's not how a Trinitarian would explain the Godhead according to what Christians have historically believed. 
I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Latter-day Saints, and when the issue of the Trinity comes up, they like to point to the Council of Nicaea, they like to say, oh, that was instituted much later after the time of the Bible. I think the question, Christian, you need to ask the Latter-day Saint at that point is, can you explain to me what the Trinity teaches? If it's so bad, you should understand what that is. And I'm going to say, I don't know, Bill, eight or nine times out of ten, they're going to use the same kind of definition that's used here by Wilcox, the idea that the Father is the Son, is the Holy Spirit. That doesn't sound right at all. It sounds crazy to think that three different beings all create one being. As Joseph Smith said, it would be the biggest God in the whole world if you were to put them all together. Wilcox goes on to say, we know that God and Jesus are separate beings and that they have physical, tangible, perfected bodies. Well, how do we know that, he asks. We could turn to some scriptures that talk about it, but mostly we know it because of Joseph Smith. So you see, here's the difference, folks. We get our understanding of the Godhead from the scriptures. Wilcox doesn't seem to think that that is important. We could turn to some scriptures, he says, but mostly, he says, we know it because of Joseph Smith. He saw them, of course, pointing back to this alleged first vision, something that Joseph Smith did not even teach in the early years of Mormonism. Everybody seemed to know about the angel Moroni coming to him, telling him about gold plates, but we do not see the story of the first vision in the early years of this movement. But when he says it's because of Joseph Smith, he saw them, I would ask, this is a vision, is it not? How in a vision do you come to the conclusion that he saw physical, tangible, perfected bodies? We have no record of him ever touching the personages that he claims appeared to him. So how would you draw that conclusion? Tomorrow, we're going to continue looking at Wilcox's statement that G stands for Godhead. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.